Every time there's a school shooting, Colorado is reminded of its past. They had a couple of duffel bags at their feet, and we witnessed them pulling out what we assumed to be paintball guns. We saw them put down the bags, and they started shooting. In the 20 or so years since Columbine, nearly 200 other U.S. schools have experienced a shooting, according to the Washington Post. One last month in Florida seems to have shaken things up like never before. Teenagers all across America are taking charge and leading this movement. And we are going to keep standing up and we're going to keep speaking out um, until something happens, until we get what we want, until we can feel safe at school. Students walked out of classrooms last week, and today some adults joined them in marches and rallies across Colorado. I'm Ryan Warner. This is a live special edition of Colorado Matters from CPR News. We have reporters in Grand Junction and Colorado Springs, along with Denver. Anne Maria Wad is downtown. There are enough people there that cell service was getting spotty when I checked in with her moments ago. Hi, Anne. Hey. Tell me what you're seeing. All right. Well, I am seeing lots of signs. It's getting pretty crowded here in Civic Center Park. Uh, one of the uh, organizers is calling out different school districts, and I think members of those school districts are uh, cheering. So we've heard from Douglas County Schools, Boulder Valley. He just called out Aurora Public Schools. Yeah, it's uh, the energy is really picking up over here. This is obviously an event organized nationwide by youth. Is it a real mix of young people and adults? Oh, for sure. Yeah, there are a lot of uh, people who look like they're high school age. There are a lot of people who look like they're parents or teacher age. There are a lot of people who are on the older side. Um, Yeah, it seems like a really good mix of age groups here. There are 11 speakers slated to address the crowd in Civic Center Park, and many of them have connections to school shootings. The Reverend Tammy Williams, for instance, her son is a Columbine High School shooting survivor. Tom Mauser. Uh, also deeply affected by that attack. His son died in Columbine. There is an Arapaho High School shooting survivor as well. I wonder, you know, we, we tend to create a bit of a duality. Are you are you meeting people there who are also gun owners? Yes. Um, I actually just spoke with somebody who told me, look, you know, I have an AR-15 and I would gladly give it up so long as everybody else does. You know, he supports gun control legislation that would either ban assault weapons or severely restrict who could have them. So you definitely kind of see all shades out here. We're not really seeing counter-protests so much. We're really keeping an eye out for them, but so far we haven't run into anybody. Uh, Do you know if folks are coming from out of town to this rally? Have you mostly met folks from Denver? So far, I will tell you, I've met somebody from the U.K., actually. Uh, It seems like people are sort of coming from all over. I talked to somebody who is from Aurora, um, Yeah, I mean, it seems like we are hearing cheers for a lot of school districts who are not in the Denver area, who are from all over the state. I feel like a hallmark of these recent rallies and protests are the signs people carry. What are you seeing? So we're definitely seeing a lot of Columbine signs in particular. So I'm actually standing right near one that says, Columbine High School graduate, 10-year Colorado teacher. I stand with my students. Enough is enough. Uh, Earlier, I saw another sign that said, you know, Columbine should have been the last one 10 years ago. Um, we're also seeing a lot of Trump-oriented signs, but also a lot of signs that are attacking uh, certain Colorado lawmakers like Cory Gardner and Mike Kaufman for their contributions that they've taken from the NRA. Of course, Civic Center Park is near the seat of a lot of power with the Capitol there. 
on one side, the city and county building on the other. Some of the other speakers who will be addressing the crowd in Denver include a survivor of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooting. Maddie King has apparently come in from out of town to attend. And Sarah Grossman, a friend of hers, died in the Pulse nightclub shooting in Florida. This is part rally in Civic Center Park and part march. Uh, Folks will go downtown and then return to Civic Center. And it seems that the weather is cooperating for this event. It's actually quite hot. If you want to find a CPR reporter, look for the people who are smeared in sunscreen. All right. Anne-Marie, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Ryan. CPR's Anne-Marie Awad, who's covering the march and rally to end gun violence in Denver Civic Center Park. Two faces in the crowd of today's marches are at different stages in their activism. I sat down with them earlier this week to talk about the gun control movement in Colorado since Columbine. My name is Tom Mauser, and I'm the father of Daniel Mauser, one of the students killed at Columbine High School. And that's what really got me into this, because I don't want other people to go through what I've gone through. My name's Emmy Adams. I'm a senior at Golden High School, and I've always been passionate about this, but after the um, Parkland massacre, I saw these other students there standing up, and it just reminded me and empowered me to see that I'm not alone in this fight, and that's what pushed me to start working towards making change in the political legislative side of this issue. Tom, are you marching for Daniel? I am still marching for Daniel. I, I feel that I'm, I'm doing what he would want me to do. I feel like I'm walking in his place. Daniel was a member of the debate team at Columbine. And he was a very shy kid, and yet he got up in front of other people and and spoke his mind. And I feel like he's empowered me to do the same thing. How unusual is this moment, this march you're a part of, as you look back on the last couple of decades? Oh, it's, it's very different. I, I'm feeling an energy here that I frankly have not felt for the past 19 years. Emmy, you are nodding your head yes. How, do, how does it feel to hear that as a member of the younger generation? It's just very powerful to me because obviously I did not have the privilege to know Daniel, but I feel like I'm marching for him as well. He definitely seems like someone that I would have loved and who I would have been friends with. And for all the other victims, too, who like should be here right now, like we're We need to stand up and do what they want us to do and what they would be doing if they weren't here, as well as just we have to live lives that they would have dreamed of having. Thank you. Sorry. You're you're crying. (laughs) Yeah. You're part of this generation that's done active shooter drills since about kindergarten. What do teachers tell you to do if there's an active shooter in your classroom? Well, I've had many different experiences in terms of that, but the most memorable one for me was when I was nine years old in fourth grade. Um, We were, you know, hiding in the corner, and my fourth grade teacher told me that if the shooter came in, he had these, uh, like, antelope horns, elk horns. Hanging in the classroom? Yeah, hanging in the classroom. And he told us that if a shooter came in, to grab them off the wall and stab the shooter in the eyes with them and get a textbook and throw it, like, in his groin area. And, like, I, it was pretty traumatizing. <laughs> 
you've each achieved things at different levels. Tom, you've been on the forefront of getting background check loopholes closed uh, and Colorado's law limiting the size of ammunition magazines. Emmy, you've fought bullying at your school. What's most important to each of you to be advocating for right now? It's a number of things. But just to start with, first, in Colorado would be a red flag law. It's it's a law that that says that if someone is has behaved dangerously and has shown themselves to be at risk of being uh, doing harm to themselves or others, we need to take away their guns and not let them let them buy any guns until they pass that stage. And the idea is that it it might be a, a temporary state. Yes, that's right. I think what Tom is saying is so true. It's it's not only about homicide. It's also about suicide. And uh, we're not coming for your guns. We're coming for your seats. So they need to know that my generation and I are very much planning on being active voters. Tom, is there anything you're learning from this generation of activists? I, I guess the main thing is just how determined they are, that they're, they're, they're not going to take it. You know, as I heard one of the Parkland students say, we don't want to be the, the generation of mass shootings. You know, we had some students who were active a bit after Columbine, but it, it wasn't anything like this. I mean, and it kind of faded away. It, it, it didn't have any staying power. They didn't have social media. And yeah. this is just amazing how it's come together so quickly and with such passion. How do you keep hope when you just hear all these people saying all you know that their freedom is more important than lives? Like, how do you just keep the hope going? You know, I, I still keep coming back to the fact that I believe that majority of Americans are right in the middle on this issue. They support a right to bear arms, but they understand the need for restrictions. But the problem is. We're not reaching them enough mm. and that we have to get them to speak up. And I think that's the hope that I see in this is that especially now is that the young people will engage with those with those people. Tom Mauser is with Colorado Ceasefire. He got involved in gun control advocacy after his son Daniel died at Columbine High School in 1999. Emmy Adams is a senior at Golden High School in Metro Denver. When we come back, a check-in on Colorado Springs, where protesters and gun activists engaged in conversation today. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. This is a live special from CPR News and Colorado Matters as activists across the state and country rally and march to end gun violence. Let's get the scene now from Colorado Springs, a more conservative part of the state than Metro Denver, certainly. CPR's Stephanie Wolf has been at Acacia Park, where at noon today, Mothers Against Shootings started what they call a march to keep our children safe. Steph, uh, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Ryan? I'm doing well as well. Tell me about the scene in Colorado Springs. Where are you? So I'm at the park right now. It's a very different scene at the moment because... It's pretty much cleared out, but earlier today there was a lineup of speakers and then marched around several blocks ending back to where they started and did a 
another lineup of speakers. Actually, a lot of uh, candidates for elected office spoke today. Now, we have to remember that there is a real political angle to these marches, to these rallies. And I think you had a lot of candidates speaking in Colorado Springs today. Is that right? Oh, sorry, Ryan. It's a little windy here. I'm going to actually have you repeat that question. That's okay. I understand there were a lot of uh, candidates speaking at the Colorado Springs rally today. Yes, and they were all Democratic candidates. The organizers did tell me, though, that they reached out to people who were running for office on both sides of the aisle. Uh, I know that uh, Congressman Polis, who's running for governor, was supposed to be there, offer closing remarks. Did that come through? Uh, Yes. All right. It did. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so you, you spoke to some student activists. Uh, I understand a sixth grader named Megan Taylor. It concerns me that we have to do lockdowns because there are people with assault rifles actively walking with assault rifles and no one's stopping them. That concerns me a lot. That term, assault rifles, certainly a fraught term. Uh, But I understand that there were some counter-protesters, maybe even some conversations between uh, these groups with very different views. Is that right, Steph? That's true. It was interesting. There was maybe only a handful of counter-protesters, but the few that I had the chance to speak with, they said they really came to have conversations. One individual I spoke with, he wanted to hear the concerns of the marchers, And he definitely had his own thoughts on um, both the Second Amendment and just, you know, information about guns that tends to be out in the public. This is Zach Rose, who is a bit wary of the idea of more gun control. You know, ultimately, you can ban whatever you want. People are going to figure out how to get around that. Um, That's just a fact of life. I see on your Twitter feed, Stephanie, that there was a teacher there carrying a sign. It says, teachers' lives matter. That's in her right hand. In her left, it says, I'm a teacher, not an armed guard. Uh, What did you hear from educators? Uh, I actually spoke with a number of educators who were really, you know, grappling with this new thing of not only having to educate their students, but make sure they stay safe. I did speak with the teacher, Rebecca Atkinson is the one you are talking about in the photo. And, you know, this is something that's been on her mind for quite some time. She actually recently retired, but she wanted to send the message that she is here to represent teachers who are also concerned about their lives. I don't want them to arm teachers. I think it's ridiculous. I didn't get a master's degree so that I could go back to the Old West and shoot them up. You know, that's not what I'm there for. Well, Stephanie Wolf joining us from Acacia Park in Colorado Springs, where there was a march and rally earlier today. Thanks for joining us, uh, despite the wind. Thank you so much. Let's hear now from a woman for whom guns are a way of life, personally and professionally. Laura Carno was in her 20s and living alone when she bought her first gun for self-defense. Like some of the other people we're hearing from today, she lost a family member to crime. Her brother was murdered, although not with a gun. And today, Carno helps train teachers to protect classrooms with a firearm. You lead a program called FASTER, stands for Faculty Administrator Safety Training and Emergency Response, a three-day intensive training for teachers and other school employees to learn to carry concealed weapons and, if necessary, use them. Uh, First off, how did you get into that? We have some friends in Ohio that started this FASTER training right after Sandy Hook. I went to the training in 2016 knowing that having 
more law-abiding people with firearms uh, in places is good because it can stop the bad guy who might also have a firearm from hurting people. When I was in Ohio, I got to meet 24 of these brave heroes who, absent having a firearm in their hand, would put their body between bullets and kids. And I looked at these people and I went, man, you die to protect your kids, but why do teachers have to die to protect their kids when they can protect them and live? So I always thought about it as good policy, but came back and thought, here are some armed defenders who want to be able to save kids, and they should absolutely have the best possible training. And um, just less than a year later, we had our first training class here in Colorado, where it is legal and has been for 15 years for school staff to be able to carry concealed with the authorization of their districts. They do have to be designated in some way, right? There's been a bill year after year in the state legislature that has failed to give districts more flexibility than that. But someone who concealed carry on campus would have to have some special designation from the district, correct? Correct. Okay. What, what the law says is that the individuals would need to be authorized by their school board or their charter school board. So there is a formal designation process. Why do teachers tell you they want to do this? For the most part, these are concealed carry holders outside of their work. So they've already made that decision, like 6% of Coloradans have, to have a concealed carry permit where they say, where I am most vulnerable at work and where there are these children who I love, I can't even protect them unless I can do this. How many teachers are we talking about over the life of the program in Colorado? In Ohio, there are over 1,300 school staff in five years, so that just gives you a little bit of a feeling of scale. The folks in Colorado who I know about, folks can get training lots of different places. So I only know the folks that we're dealing with, and I would say that's about north of 100 people and call it about 25 school districts throughout Colorado. Okay. Uh, a Gallup poll released just this week found only 7% of teachers, in this case, said they wanted guns in classrooms. They argue it, it isn't safe that even with a few days of training, accidents can happen. How can this be safe? If somebody doesn't want to be part of the group that conceal carries on campus, nobody would ever suggest that anybody should be armed who isn't. But let me ask this. What if it's a student or a parent that wants no part of this? You're not giving them a choice. We have significant opportunities for school choice. Folks could open up a charter school that says there will never be a firearm on campus. They can do that. Um, but I am hearing from, I'd say, hundreds of parents who say, I want this in my school because they know that the faster a killer is stopped, the better chance their kid has of living. And to the training and how you prepare teachers, take me to the, I imagine this happens at a gun range. Yeah. What are they learning to do? Is three days long enough, given that, that young lives are on the line? When you say that it's at a gun range, it is. But there's also a classroom there. There's also a setup for force-on-force -force scenarios. We also train medical. So there's a lot of other things that go on. Our trainers are all active-duty law enforcement trainers. What they know is that they will never be there on time. Because these things are over so quickly. Right, exactly. Unless perhaps there's a school resource officer on site. Uh, that's an armed person that's in many schools in Colorado. Right, and a member of law enforcement. So, so back to your question about training is three days enough. There's a question that a lot of folks ask. How can you train teachers to be 
a cop. Well, we're not. 99% of what a cop does, they will never have to do. We are training them in the one narrow skill set that says, if somebody comes in here shooting up your kids, here's how you stop them. That's it. Stop the killer. Stop the bleeding. So we've got the, the firearm skills and the medical skills. That's if you have properly identified the shooter in a chaotic environment. Sure. And that there's not a kid between you and the shooter. Sure. The first thing that we take them through is a mindset portion. This isn't for everyone. Absolutely not. You have to have that right mindset of of who this person is. And that you might be killing a student uh, whom you were tasked with educating. If this was your favorite student yesterday and today he walks in with a rifle leveled at your kids, he is no longer your student. He is a threat to be stopped before he harms those children. One idea that's been suggested to help get a handle on the situation is a red flag warning system. Essentially, family members or law enforcement who are concerned about somebody's mental health could go to a judge and ask for a temporary restraining order to keep someone from having a gun. What do you think of that? As long as there's some due process, I think most people would say going to a judge constitutes good due process. I think most people would be good with that. As people march, what will you do? I will go on with everything I've been doing, which is talking to parents, students, teachers, administrators, all kinds of folks who are interested in kids being as safe as possible on campus. That is Laura Carno, who lives in Black Forest. She brought a program to Colorado to train school staff in firearms. Carno is also a political activist and author. Her latest book is called Government Ruins Nearly Everything. Our live coverage of marches against gun violence continues after a break with the scene from Grand Junction. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. You're listening to live special coverage as the Never Again movement to end gun violence takes to the streets across Colorado and the nation. Let's get the view now from Grand Junction, where there was a march and rally at Lincoln Park. Allison Sherry is there. Hi, Allison. Hi, Ryan. What's going on around you right now? Well, there are a few hundred people gathered in front of the courthouse right now. I would say the crowd is a little older, although everybody, the the entire program is being run by teenagers. Um, There are about 50 on the steps right now, singing, talking about stories, and everybody's just listening to them. They're wearing red, they're wearing red t-shirts. There was uh, one high school here that had a lockdown right after Parkland happened. And a lot of the students from that school have gotten up and talked about that experience, about how they had this own brush with fear about that right after this, you know, massive school shooting and how it really drove them and crystallized this this movement for them. Indeed, uh, the Grand Junction event organized by Grand Valley Students United, who put out a letter to their community in advance of the event, uh, quote, we refuse to remain complacent with thoughts and prayers, which is why we stand with our peers across the nation and demand action from our elected officials. Uh, You know, I want to note that that is a more conservative part of the state than Metro Denver. Uh, to talk about the politics and whether that's come up at all. It has come up. Actually, during the march, a lot of people I talked to didn't want to give me their last names. They were a little afraid of being on CPR um, with their, you know, with their names being from this conservative community. But a few people noted that might be changing 
And a lot of the high school students I talk to, if, if they stay in Grand Junction, are, are said that they're excited to vote in 2020, that they, they, they want to change. So, um, you know, I don't know if that's going to, if anything's going to change here in terms of the politics. That's someone else's job to project that. But I will say that people say they feel a little bit of a movement change. You met a woman named Christine Gallagher. And before we hear from her, tell me about Christine. Christine um, was one of the people who was hesitant to give me her last name, but I, I convinced her. She um, has three children, um, uh, one 15-year-old and then two in college. And she got choked up uh, talking about her sign, which said, I'm praying with my feet. And we can hear from her, a clip from here, her here. The quotation is, I'm praying with my feet. And Rabbi Heschel, a famous rabbi that marched with Martin Luther King Jr., and I'll get choked up talking about this, sorry. <laughs> I have three kids, 15, 19, and 21. And, you know, I want them to go to school and feel safe. I want them to go and have fun and learn and never have to worry about anything like this. And adults have failed them. And I'm so proud of all these kids who've organized to do something like this. They did all the work on it. They're the ones that are going to change this. We're hearing that voice from Lincoln Park in Grand Junction, where CPR's Allison Sherry is reporting for us. And I, I want to speak to nuance uh, here, which is that there there may be people marching who have mixed feelings about gun control or gun rights. I wonder if you you met anyone who doesn't fit neatly into a particular box, Allison. Well, yeah. I mean, actually, a lot of the students I've talked to uh, say they're pro-Second Amendment, say they believe in hunting, they grew up hunting, they believe even in having a guns for protection, but they don't believe in AR-15, the, the, the assault rifles and, and bump stocks and those sorts of things. And um, there was a man I interviewed um, who worked for the Secret Service in Washington, D.C. in the 1990s. He worked for the State Department. He owns guns. He lives in Montrose. He's married to a teacher. He's 62 years old. And um, he, he is a gun owner. He believes in it, but he doesn't believe there needs to be more guns, and he certainly doesn't believe in assault weapons. This is Dave Congor. But I've been around guns all my life. One thing I'm certain of is that there are just too many guns in too many people's hands, and the last thing that this country needs is more untrained, unlicensed people with unregistered firearms and more and more powerful weapons with every passing year and expecting that we're going to be safer. And we need to reverse this trend. Allison Sherry, thanks so much for the view from Grand Junction today. Thank you, Ryan. Today's marches and rallies certainly are political statements that more be done on gun control. One thing happened Friday. The Trump administration says it's banning bump stocks, which Allison just mentioned. They help allow the Las Vegas shooter to kill so many people. So what else is in play for gun control advocates and for those who want more gun rights? Laura Cataletta is legal director at the Giffords Law Center to Prevent Gun Violence. She tracks legislation in all 50 states, and she says additional federal changes came in a spending bill passed just this week, including one to improve background checks. So the FBI maintains the National Instant Background Check System, and the spending bill will help ensure that federal agencies are sending records to that database, and it will encourage states and help states send records as well. It also clarifies that the CDC is not restricted from researching gun violence prevention, and it provides funding for a CDC national violent death reporting system. 
Okay, so those are now a reality. What about gun control measures that are under consideration across the country? There are a lot of states considering extreme risk protection order bills. So if a person is exhibiting imminent um, red flags that they're imminently dangerous, it would allow someone to petition a judge to have those guns removed and prohibit them from purchasing future guns temporarily until they can get help. No such bill has yet been brought forward in Colorado. What about on the gun rights side? What laws are in play in Colorado and around the country that might expand gun rights? Well, we are seeing similar bills to what we've seen year after year. For example, the bill that would allow concealed carry without a permit has been introduced again in Colorado, and it's been introduced in many other states. They are also pushing guns in K-12 schools, and they are also pushing guns on college campuses. Those are movements that you see in other states as well? Those are very common in other states as well. So every year, the gun lobby does succeed in one, maybe two states with these measures, but by and large, the vast majority fail. Back briefly to gun control. What about banning certain types of guns? So there is a renewed interest in looking at assault weapons because of what happened in Parkland, Florida. I know that. That term is fraught, assault weapons. How do you define it? Well, assault weapon is a military-style semi-automatic Firearm, And there are movements to ban something like that? Or do they have any chance of passing anywhere in the country? Well, there are 15 states considering either banning or regulating these guns in some way. So one of the popular measures that would be short of banning them would be to raise the minimum age to purchase them. So the shooter in the Florida situation was not old enough to buy beer, but he was old enough to go and legally buy an assault rifle. Colorado made some changes after Columbine, adopting concealed carry, for instance, in the direction of gun rights, and making it illegal to buy a gun for someone else who isn't allowed to have one. So changes in the gun control direction there. More changes came after the Aurora Theater shooting around background checks, limiting the size of ammunition magazines. Uh, In your mind, as a gun control advocate, does that put Colorado ahead of the curve? I think it is slightly ahead of the curve. So we grade the states every year on their gun laws. It's the 15th state in our ranking, and it does pretty well when you look at how many states have really done very little to nothing on this issue. That is Laura Cadaletta, legal director at the Giffords Law Center to Prevent Gun Violence. Another change in the wake of past violence in Colorado, a hotline that lets students and others share safety concerns. In the week after the Florida school shooting, it took in 50 percent more reports. CPR's Michael Elizabeth Sackis found that this anonymous tip line created here is now a national model. At Lakewood High School, a few hundred parents, teachers and staff from the Jeffco School District find seats in the auditorium's bleachers. They're here to talk about school safety. These are kids in crisis calling out for our help. That's John McDonald, executive director of security for Jeffco Schools. He highlights more than 1,300 anonymous reports this year from students in the district through the Safe to Tell tip line. Kids can use the mobile app, the phone number, or the website to report their concerns. And tips are answered 24-7 by the Colorado State Patrol. If it's important enough for them to call, it's important enough for us to respond. Most of the student tips last year involved threats of suicide. Plans for school attacks were number seven on the list. 
McDonald says through tips, they've discovered hit lists, explosive devices and weapons leading to arrests. Safe to Tell was created as a response to the shooting at Columbine High in 1999 that left 13 dead. The ghost of Columbine is with us today. And and what I mean by that is that it's never far from our mind. But on a tragedy is born a program that is saving kids' lives. The Safe to Tell tip line is state-funded and has become a model program for other states. Susan Payne is the director and founder of Safe to Tell. She was hired as a school resource officer in Colorado Springs after a school shooting there. And when I was in that school, what you really learned is that young people knew information that we needed as adults to intervene, and yet there was a code of silence. Payne says other preventative solutions are also necessary and argues schools need more money to respond to mental health and violence issues. Democratic State Senator Nancy Todd recently introduced a bill to increase spending for suicide prevention in schools. Our counselor ratio right now is 1 to 500. That's not going to cut it. Any and all of those help agencies or groups that are in our schools are certainly not ample for the the load of, of a need. Senator Todd says kids need help handling things like loss, pain, and anger. However, her suicide prevention bill didn't have enough votes. The Columbine shooting also prompted researchers at CU Boulder to create a center for the study of violence prevention. Bill Woodward directs the center's training programs. They work with schools to teach prevention and intervention tactics. Woodward believes Safe to Tell should be required in every Colorado school. But it isn't. It's up to the districts to promote the program. Woodward says violence prevention in schools can have a lasting effect. 95% of violence does start in this, this age group going to school. People don't suddenly start being violent at 25 or 30. So we've got to get to them now. I'm Michael Elizabeth Sackis, CPR News. As some people march today to restrict guns, others are enjoying their gun rights today. CPR's Ben Marcus joins us from the Family Shooting Center at Cherry Creek State Park. Hi, Ben. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Tell me about uh, that shooting range. Well, I can tell you it's been packed for the hours that I've been here. You may be able to hear the gunfire uh, in the background. It's never really subsided. Uh, It's a beautiful day, and people are having fun enjoying their Second Amendment rights out here. And I think that that is a theme that I've picked up from folks, is if more people understood gun culture and how fun it was, they would be, uh, and the emphasis on safety, they'd be less afraid of guns. I talked to Robert Burnside from Centennial, who trains people occasionally in shooting. And then a couple more shots, a couple more shots, and you see the smile breaking out on her face. It is fun. It is. And I tell them one thing, before you leave the range, you've got to wipe that smile off the face because people think you're having fun out here. I was following your Twitter feed, Ben, and one person referred to what they do at the shooting range as recoil therapy. Right. Um, there seems to be two themes of why people are interested in guns, at least in the, the dozen or so people that I've talked to here. One is it's fun. There's recreation. Uh, the better you get at it, it's like golf. Uh, it's an accuracy kind of sport. Uh, the other theme for why people are interested in gun ownership is self-defense. Uh, that came up in every single uh, interview that I did, that people were afraid that the police wouldn't be able to get to them in time, that they were the best protector of themselves and their family. Yeah, tell me about someone you met named Charles Allen. Is, do I have that right? Yeah, Charles Allen was was an interesting guy. He actually was one of the few that uh, did not think the protesters marching um, 
was a wholly bad idea. He says they have good intentions, uh, but here's more of what he had to say about that. They have the right to do that. They're hitting the wrong target. Regretfully, how many kids are dying every day from opioids uh, or for texting when they're driving? Uh, I think their heart's in the right place, but they're misguided. I believe in the good book it says the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Would you say, Ben, that most people you talked to at this shooting range were aware that the marches were happening today? Yeah, everyone that I talked to was aware that they were happening. They felt that part of the problem is the media and people who don't uh, live around guns or have guns, they just really don't know what exactly they're talking about. And so they feel like if people were just more attuned to gun culture, um, they would have a better sense of why people enjoy it and the safety behind it. Um, it wouldn't be and wouldn't be maybe marching in the streets to curtail gun rights. Any, any discussion in particular of the AR-15? You know, it, it has been a weapon that has uh, been used in many of the school shootings, but it's also an enormously popular recreational gun. Has that come up? Uh, well, I saw um, somebody installing a bump stock on an AR-15 to shoot out here at the range. The bump stock increases the rate of fire, but kind of reduces accuracy. And have been implicated in some of the gun control talk. And I think people feel like uh, an AR-15 is not different than any other type of gun. It's a tool. It's the person behind the gun. They feel that the focus should be uh, turned towards if you want to stop mass shootings and other gun violence. Ben, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Ben Marcus with this scene from the Family Shooting Center at Cherry Creek State Park. And I want to say that as tens of thousands of people rally across Colorado for more gun control, uh, we want to talk about gun sales in the state. And I was able to catch up with Ben earlier this week, in fact. He told me that sales soared under President Obama because of fear. Now, Ben says... The fear seems to have shifted from one of gun control, though, because Republicans are in full control of the federal government, to fear of crime. I hear this a lot from gun stores now, that customers fear that the police can't get to the house soon enough or that uh, they can't respond to the mass shooting quick enough. And so I actually expected that when Republicans took control of the federal government, we would see a bigger decline in gun sales in Colorado, but we didn't. We still saw a lot. So if we compare it to 10 years ago, Gun sales are up 130% in Colorado. 130%. And the population of Colorado is up only 15% in that time. Okay. So it's not just about new people moving to Colorado and buying guns. It's more than that. How many guns are we talking about then? So last year, Coloradans bought 360,000 guns. It was the third biggest year for sales. And our data goes back to 2001, the first year of George W. Bush's term. And since then, Coloradans have bought 4 million guns. And there's about 4 million adults in Colorado. So there is a gun for every adult in Colorado that's been sold over the last 18, 20 years. Though obviously not uh, distributed evenly that way. But uh, do we know anything about what kinds of guns people are buying? No, the state data is very basic. It kind of breaks it out by handguns and long guns. So long guns are like rifles. Handguns are more popular. About 60% of sales are for handguns. And that's because part of the popularity of guns is for self-defense and concealed carry. And so handguns tend to be more popular for that type of group. But we also know that the AR-15 assault-style rifle is one of the most popular guns in America. What about who's buying guns in Colorado? 
So we don't have great data on that either. We have some national surveys that get at that a bit. We know that in Colorado, a third of Coloradans are gun owners. Now, there's a question as to with all of the gun purchases that have been going on lately, has that number shifted? Are there more Coloradans who own guns now? And we don't know. Uh, Gun shops tell me that often it's a second purchase or third purchase. So the gun ownership rate may not have changed much, even though there have been a lot of gun purchases in Colorado. But that, just, that, that speaks to that unevenness, potentially, of gun ownership. So multiple guns per owner is a likely scenario. Right. And we do know from the Pew Research Center, who's done a big survey of just very recently, that nationally, most gun owners are white. Most gun owners are men. Most gun owners are Republicans. They vote Republican. And most gun owners are in rural households. Speaking of rural households, we we know that gun deaths are associated with higher rates of gun ownership. So does that tell us anything about what parts of the state have more guns? Yeah, there is a strong correlation there. So I think it does give us some sense of where more guns are relative to other counties. So one study showed that the highest gun death rates in Colorado were in the mountain counties. Uh, all the counties on the Utah border had very high rates of gun death and in the San Luis Valley. So these are all, again, very rural areas. And it should be noted that these aren't homicides that are driving the gun death rates. In Colorado, 77% of all gun deaths are from suicide. Once again, CPR's Ben Marcus. Our live special coverage continues after a break with an anti-gang activist who sees violence in his Denver neighborhood virtually every day, and he doesn't necessarily blame guns. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. This is live special coverage from CPR News and Colorado Matters as marches and rallies take place nationwide to end gun violence. Our reporters are all over the state covering this event. There's lots more at CPR.org. We're also hearing from Coloradans who advocate for fewer gun restrictions. Reverend Leon Kelly isn't rallying today in support of gun control. That may come as a surprise given that he has spent 34 years trying to end gang violence. He runs a program called Open Door Youth Gang Alternatives in Denver. You keep a list of names, people murdered in gang violence. How many entries have you made? Well, I wouldn't just say gang violence. They've been, um, died a young, violent death. Hmm. And uh, today they need to update it. It's like, let's see, 1,243, something of that sort. How long have you been keeping it? Well, you know, this is my list. You know, I've been dealing with this since uh, 1988, you know. And have you made many entries lately? Well, this year alone, uh, 2018, I have uh, 10, 11 on my list now. Is that unusual to have so many? Uh, it's only March. It is. Uh, it's only March, and we have like 11 and these are the ones that have just made my list. It's not the total here in the metro area of Denver. Give me an example of some of the latest entries. Oh, a uh, couple of uh, homicide people uh, down on Leesdale. This is yeah. a street in, in Denver, in Denver and you know, Leesdale. Uh, a week later, two was killed out on uh, Montbello. And, you know, when we start talking about shootings, you know, these are the ones that were killed, not the, just the ones that were shot. 
And yes, when I hear about the mass shootings, it's a tragedy. It is certainly is crazy. But, you know, when I look at my the numbers of my young kids who've uh, been killed behind youth violence, it caused me to sort of cringe. We should say in 2015, for example, mm. 369 people died in mass shootings in the United States. That same year, 6,000 mm-hmm. black men yeah. were murdered with guns. Yeah, 369 versus 6,000 in mm-hmm. one year. Right, right. And, you know, I know you, you know, people are putting focus on killed by handguns or by guns. But number of my people on my list, you know, there are those who were killed by golf clubs, killed by knives, killed by uh, cars running into them because of, you know, uh, anger. So death is death. In fact, people might assume you'd be a part of the March for Our Lives, but Mm. but you're not. You're an NRA member. You train people Uh, to to concealed carry. Yeah, okay. See, I wear a lot of different hats, right? Uh You know, people often see Reverend Kelly over the period of time being a minister, being a pastor, and then on the other side, being an NRA member. You know, I mean, I I teach uh, CCW classes. I teach uh, how to to, uh, prevent yourself from becoming a victim. Is that why you carry a gun? Uh I know how it feels when your flock or somebody around you is being attacked, brutally attacked. I know how it feels to be a helpless victim. What do we do? You know, I need to at least be in a position to at least have a a choice, be able to protect somebody. Is that unusual for those who work to eradicate gangs to also want broader firearms rights? You know, in this field of work that I I deal with, anybody that is put in a position to be a protector, overseer, you know, at least give us a fighting chance to exist and survive. You know, we're dealing with an element, a mindset of um, kids or people who prey on innocent folk. Um, So you're saying there are bad guys with guns. There should be good guys with guns. And others might say just uh, reduce the number of guns overall. Well, you know, the guns is always going to be an issue. You know, if you could put all the laws in place, if we don't change the mindset of those behind the guns, you know, we're going to have some problems. You know, the bad guys are going to find a way to be armed. The majority of the kids that I deal with, they don't get their sidearms legally anyway. You talked about some of the names on your list dying by other means. Mm-hmm. The golf club, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Um Stabbings. Stabbings. Certainly those can be deadly, but isn't there a difference between the toll you can exact on, say, a crowd if you've got a golf club versus an AR-15? Well, true, you know, but, you know, if you go get a bomb, and we've heard of things that have happened over the last number of weeks. About in in Texas, Austin, yeah, Texas. And, and, you know, if a person put in their mind to cause this kind of carnage, Whether it be guns, whether it be knives, whether it be bombs, it's going to happen. That is Reverend Leon Kelly, who runs Open Door Youth Gang Alternatives in Denver. He's also an NRA member. And let's do a final check on Civic Center Park, where CPR's Anne-Marie Awad is covering the March for Our Lives. Anne, tell me what's happening right now. Well, it is jam-packed here in Civic Center Park. Just before things kicked off, we had one of the organizers get on the mic and thank people for filling up the park, and it is quite full. Uh, I needed to get away from the crowd for a minute, and I had to cross the street 
go to the city and county building. So it's big. People are getting more and more riled up as more speakers come up to the mic. Uh, not too long ago, we had two survivors of the Arapahoe High School shooting speak, um, and the audience was uh, really wild for them. Just briefly, what have you heard from the speakers in about 30 seconds? Uh, the importance of empathy. Uh, one of the young ladies that survived the Arapahoe shooting talked a lot about using empathy to bridge gaps and, and, and solve the problems that we're facing. And she likened it quite a bit to the gun control debate. Um, we also heard from another survivor who talked about, you know, not wanting to be scared anymore, talked about how that shooting impacted her, all of the services and memorials she had to go to, Um I also found in the crowd some people who had been around for the Columbine shooting and talked about similar things with me as well. And thanks for that quick check-in. I want to say that Allison Olson was a student at Arapahoe High School in Metro Denver when a shooter killed a student there not long ago, and she spoke on the stage in Denver just a few minutes ago. We will no longer say that we didn't think this could happen to us because we will do everything in our power to ensure it won't happen to us. Because at the end of the day, there are far too many kids like me. But it ends with me and it ends with all of you. Thank you. Allison Olson speaking on the stage at Denver's Civic Center Park for the March for Our Lives. That's our special coverage. I'm Ryan Warner.